you for reading that passage. When I, when I told Leon that I would begin this series of messages on the last, uh, on chapters, uh, from chapters 9 through 14, um, I would uh, be doing an overview of chapters 9, 10, 11 in one evening. I had not thought through how difficult it would be to uh, take three hours plus teaching notes and uh, reduce them and condense them to uh, less than an hour of time, uh, especially uh, being Romans 9 and 11 are probably the, most, one, the two most difficult chapters in all of the book of Romans. So this is how I will uh, approach this uh, uh, overview of Romans 9, 10, 11 this evening. Um, are the, are the, those handouts given? You'll give those handouts, uh, yes. Which is the uh, message title for this evening. Uh, you would give those out. Uh, which gives you uh, an, uh, a sense of uh, where we're going uh, evening by evening throughout this week. And uh, I encourage you to pray that uh, uh, the Lord might direct in each of these messages in a particular kind of way. So uh, this is how I will attempt to... Uh, to give an overview of uh, these uh, extensive three chapters, uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, I will attempt to do a brief overview of chapter 9, just sort of giving the main points, the, uh, the main gist of its context, content. And then I will probably do an even uh, briefer overview of chapter 10, uh, because its context, the contents are no doubt more familiar to you, and uh, the, the passage, the, the chapter is easier to understand. And then I will end with a more extended look at Romans chapter 11. So that's uh, the plan that, uh, that I have for uh, this time together this evening. I do want to greet each one of you this evening in Jesus' name. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you again. Uh, I'm always, um, what shall I say, I, I'm always uh, astonished when I'm invited back to the same church twice. Uh, and so uh, 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 I, uh, I want to be uh, true to God's Word and... Uh, I, I'm asking that the Lord will uh, bless you through these passages in the book of Romans. So, in order to uh, help us see the context of Romans 9, 10, 11, I, I'd like to uh, give you a, um, a, a, a brief introduction. Uh, I want to say a few things in introduction to, uh, to, this, to the, these three chapters. Uh, I want to look at how Romans 9, 10, 11 fit into the scheme of things uh, as it relates to the book of Romans. You remember that the content of Romans is generally divided 
into two sections, as are most of Paul's epistles. Uh, first of all, you have the doctrinal section of Romans, which consists of the first eight chapters, and in, it, in, in them are found the, the most concise and extensive exposition of the doctrine of salvation that is found in all of the New Testament. And then you have the practical section of Romans, obviously begins in chapter 12, here in the book of Romans, with a call to total consecration, and we'll be looking at that call tomorrow evening. So where then do chapters 9 and 10 and 11 fit into the scheme of things as uh, it relates to the book of Romans? Uh, Well, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are often seen as the dispensational section of the book of Romans. You see, classic dispensationalism has to do with a premillennial understanding of redemptive history. Now, by saying that, I'm not telling you, uh, my, uh, giving you an idea of my, my understanding of eschatology. Uh, but uh, this is classic dispensationalism. It has to do with a premillennial understanding of redemptive history. It would see classic dispensationalism sees the present dispensation of grace as belonging to the church, to the church age, where all men, Jew and Gentile, <clears throat> are brought into a saving relationship with God through the gospel and are united in one body. Classic dispensationalism, then, sees the next stage of history as an age of the kingdom, when Israel will be restored as a national entity, during which time all of the promises of God to the nation of Israel uh, would be fulfilled uh, uh, that were given in the Old Testament. And of course, all of this is precipitated in classic dispensationalism by the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation, and the second coming of Christ. I don't know where you are uh, in your eschatology. And I I, want to tell you, I don't even know for sure where I am. Uh, I believe that uh, there there are going to be a lot of surprises when it all happens, any way you look at it. But uh, be that as it may... um, it seems that that um, um, the that Israel's rejection of Christ and the gospel uh, raised profound questions about the gospel and God's faithfulness to His promises to Abraham and to His seed, and and I am supposing that. Paul faced those questions from the Jews wherever and whenever he preached to the Jews as he stormed across the Roman Empire. Not having Jewish roots, we Gentiles have difficulty appreciating these questions. So it's my sense that here in Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul addresses these questions which have often come up during his time of ministry uh, to, uh, in Jewish synagogues. Now, um, I, I, I need to admit to you that at first glance, uh, Romans chapter 9 contains some theological concepts 
that I have difficulty dealing with. Uh, I, I feel like uh, when I when I uh, look at Romans nine, ten, and eleven, uh, and especially Romans nine and eleven, I feel like I'm somehow out of my depth here. Um, I find uh, such things as the sovereignty of God, divine election, God hardening hearts, rather difficult theological concepts to deal with and to give exposition to. But that's what we have, especially in Romans chapter 9. Now, um, in, uh, as, you, as you look at Romans chapter 9, um, I, uh, I believe that uh, uh, we need to see how Israel fits into the scheme of things here. Uh, Romans chapter 9, the overall thrust of Romans chapter 9 uh, was the, uh, the, the was that Israel was the special elect people of God, a people of great privilege. They had great privileges and great opportunities to know God and the plan of God, the plan of redemption that uh, um, that God put, put forth. And yet, because of their unbelief, they missed it when it came to Christ and the Gospel. Yes, they missed it. Because their hearts were hardened through unbelief, and so they were in a state of reprobation. So, what we have here in Romans chapter 9 uh, Paul is explaining to us how Israel, uh, how it came about that Israel was in a state of reprobation. By reprobation, I mean in a, in a condition, in a state where they were cut off from God. They were reprobate as far as the gospel was concerned. And so, yes, they missed it because their hearts were hardened through unbelief, so they were in a state of reprobation. So, uh, note how Paul begins uh, the, um, uh, the, the Romans chapter 9. He, he, uh, first of all, in the first three verses, we have uh, Paul expresses the anguish and the passion that he felt uh, for his people, the, uh, the uh, people of Israel. Uh, it, he expresses how deeply he felt about the Jewish people, whom he refers to as the, his kinsmen in the flesh. Uh, and so, uh, uh, his, uh, this, uh, these deep feelings, uh, his uh, deep pathos, uh, is not easy to put, uh, is not easy to uh, identify with. When he says that he wished himself to be a curse, uh, that would bring the, uh, the, the, his people, uh, Israel, to uh, find salvation in Christ. Well, such deep feelings are uh, rather difficult to, to deal with uh, and to identify with. Uh, but uh, uh, 
in, uh, in the first part of Romans, Paul, Paul begins in, in verse 4, 4 and 5, by uh, uh, giving us a, uh, a concept, uh, giving us a, uh, a, an understanding of their heritage. He says, they were of the adoption. Uh, in other words, of all the chosen, of all the peoples of the earth, they were the chosen people of God. And they were the recipients of the glory. <clears throat> they could say like John did in 1 John 1.14, We beheld His glory, the outshining of His majesty, uh, on Mount Sinai, uh, in the Holy of Holies, <clears throat> in the uh, pillar of fire that followed them through the wilderness. They saw the outshining of God's glory. And so they beheld the glory. Uh, they were the recipients of the covenant. Uh, and by these covenants, they were the recipients of great promises and blessings. They were given the law, the oracles of God at Mount Sinai. Uh, and, um, and, and through these, through these oracles, through the law, the very nature and character of God was revealed to them. They were taught the service of God, verse 4. They were instructed in the true worship of God. Uh, also to them were given the promises. And uh, their ancestry went back to the fathers, which meant that they were part of the lineage through which Christ would come. So uh, Paul here is describing their rich spiritual heritage. Uh, and... Um, as, uh, as, as one of my students at SMBI put it in relation to this, he said, God gave the, the children of Israel, the, the Jewish people, the elect people of God, uh, the front row seats in bringing about redemption's plan. And yet they missed it. They just didn't get it. Uh, and so that sort of uh, tells us, as, uh, as we have it here in the first part, of, of this chapter. Well, um, what I would like to do is just uh, give you the, the basic thrust. Uh, I, I won't be able to spend a lot of time uh, looking at the details of Romans chapter 9, but, uh, but I, I would have us understand perhaps the basic uh, uh, question, the, the basic misconception that the, uh, the Jewish people had uh, as, as it relates to the gospel and as it relates to Christ and as it relates to their relationship with God. In, in verses, uh, in, in beginning in verse uh, 5, uh, verse, yes, verse 5, um, and verse 6, rather, um, yes, beginning in verse 6, uh, Paul gives us a clue as to the uh, the nature of the uh, of the question that the Jewish people had, and uh, their uh, the thing that hindered them from uh, opening their arms and their hearts uh, to Christ and to the gospel. Uh, they thought as a, as being they were the elect people of God. They were of the seed of Abraham. They thought that because they were of the uh, of the of the uh, lineage, they were the, of the physical descendants of Abraham, and because they were physical descendants of Abraham, 
that gave them a special relationship with God. Uh, that caused them to be the elect people of God. And so the first thing that Paul does here in Romans chapter 9 is that uh, he, uh, he, he uh, uh, counteracts that concept by saying that it's not being an, uh, in the physical lineage of Abraham that counts. Because uh, there, uh, it has to do with, uh, as he said it in Romans chapter 4, it, it has to do with being of the faith of Abraham. And here he says that it, it has to do with, uh, that the, you know, there were physical descendants of Abraham uh, that were of the flesh, and there was a descendant of Abraham, which was uh, Isaac, who was uh, uh, of the, uh, of, not of the flesh, but of the promise here in chapter 1. And so uh, he, uh, he shows them that that which causes one to be one of the elect people of God isn't necessarily a matter of being a physical descendant of Abraham, but uh, being, but being uh, a one of a descendant of Abraham through the promise. And that takes us back to, takes him back to uh, being a descendant of Abraham by being of the faith of Abraham, uh, being a, a son of promise. Uh, rather than a, uh, a son of the flesh. And so uh, Paul uh, very forcefully reminds them of uh, that the, uh, their, their, uh, the, the thing that they put their hope in uh, is, uh, is, uh, doesn't uh, hold true. And, uh, and, and, and so... He goes on to explain how God chose Isaac and then God chose Jacob over uh, uh, Esau. And, uh, and, and this was something that God did by his sovereign plan. And so uh, what we have in verses 14 through 29 in Romans chapter 9, we have the most complex, uh, which is the most complex part of Romans chapter 9, Paul refers uh, to three things. He refers to the justice of God, the mercy of God, and the sovereignty of God. Now, I would have you notice that he refers to the sovereignty of God, not by talking about the sovereignty of God. In fact, the word sovereignty is not found in all of the New Testament. But the idea is there, and the idea is here. So, he talks about the, the justice of God, the mercy of God, and the sovereignty of God. And central to it all uh, of this, he tells us what happens to a man who resists God. Uh, and Pharaoh is the uh, supreme example of what happens to one who resists the sovereign plan of God in verse 17. Also central to understanding this complex section Paul insists that God is, the, uh, is, the, uh, is, as, is as a potter 
God as the potter is sovereign over both the vessels of mercy and the vessels of wrath. Verses 20 through 24. The fact of the matter is that vessels who are under the wrath can become vessels of mercy, whether Jew or Gentile, by believing and receiving the gospel. You, you have that insinuation in verses 23 through 29. The tragedy is that the Jewish people as a whole became vessels of wrath. Uh, they, uh, they, they rejected Christ and the gospel. They rejected the, the concept of justification by faith and thought that they would be justified by, by their works. So, in conclusion, Paul reaffirms the fact that Israel is in a condition of reprobation because they sought righteousness by the works of the law rather than by faith in Jesus Christ. That's verses 30 through 32. So in their unbelief, Christ became to them a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Note the forceful statement and promise that is given at the end of verse 33 of Romans chapter 9. Very simple, but very forceful. It says, And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's another way of saying that whosoever believeth on him shall be saved. Whosoever believeth in him shall not be disappointed. But uh, they, they uh, refused to believe on him, so Christ became to them a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And consequently, uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel was in a state of uh, reprobation. Well, that is, uh, in, a, in a very brief, uh, sort of a brief overview of Romans chapter 9. Um, and uh, so, allow me to uh, just uh, give you the, the content of Romans chapter 10. In, in Romans chapter 10, then, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, notices, first of all, uh, and refers to Israel's ignorance in relation to the righteousness of God. Verses 1 through 4. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them, to, to everyone that believeth. And so uh, uh, Paul is uh, uh, referring to Israel's ignorance of God's righteousness. And uh, Israel's ignorance of God's righteousness is defined in two ways here. Uh, first of all, he says that they have a seal for God, but not according to knowledge. That's verse 2. A misdirected seal can lead one down a wrong path. We must make sure that our seal is according to knowledge 
according to revealed truth. Secondly, uh, their knowledge was is an obstinate. Uh, their ignorance is an obstinate ignorance. The implication is that the ignorance Paul is referring to is a willful uh, ignorance that is the result of unbelief. Such willful in- ignorance uh, usually leads to spiritual blindness. And, and so here Paul, in, in verse 3 then, uh, gives us, uh, refers to two kinds of righteousness. There are two ways by which a sinful man can attempt to be made right with God. And uh, that is, uh, first of all, he can be made right with God by one's own righteousness. That is an attempt. Uh, a, a righteousness that is the result of attempting at keeping the law. This kind of righteousness is uh, referred to as self-righteousness or the righteousness of the law. And uh, no man has ever been um, uh, made right with God as a result of attempting to keep the law. And then there is God's righteousness. That's in verse 3. It speaks of this as the righteousness that is by faith. And so this has to do with being made right with God by faith which Paul had defined and illustrated in Romans chapter 4. And so then in, uh, in verse 5 uh, is this uh, forceful statement uh, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. This statement speaks of the finality and the completeness of Christ's work on the cross and how that forever settles the question about a sinful man attaining righteousness by the works of the law. And so what we have in Romans chapter 10, um, is Paul then going on and reiterating the uh, justification by faith in Jesus Christ as he had given it in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. And so, uh, Paul, uh, in Romans chapter 10, uh, in, in a very simple way, and yet in a very forceful way, reiterates the, uh, uh, the, the righteousness that, uh, that counts before God. And uh, he does it very simply, and yet very forcefully. Let, let me just read the, the heart and the context of what he says in relation to that. Um, beginning at verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, in, into heaven? that is, to bring Christ up from the, uh, down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, and here it comes to a very, very simple. Um, and so he, he is reiterating the, uh, the, the, the gospel uh, of the, the righteousness of Christ here. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth 
the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is rich, is over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so uh, here, Paul, in, in a very simple and yet in a very forceful way, is reiterating the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that a man is, is made right with God by embracing, by repentance and embracing the, the Lord Jesus Christ as his sin sacrifice. And, uh, and, and, in, and in that way, he is made right with God. And this is the simple message. Uh, and and the, the important message that uh, the Jewish people had rejected and, and turned away from. And so that is why they were in reprobation. Now, I know that that's very simple and very brief uh, in relation to Romans 9 and 10. Now, allow me just to uh, attempt to uh, do a, an overview of Romans chapter 11. Um, and uh, here we have a uh, extensive passage. I'm, I'm going to take the time, and if I don't do anything else, I, I'm just going to take the time to read uh, the uh, Romans chapter 11. Uh, I trust you've been reading it in the last couple of days. But I'm going to read Romans chapter 11 and then just reflect on a few basic ideas that are given here uh, in this passage. I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture says of Elias? how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But, that, but what fails the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it is by be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Do you get it? Um, here you have a, a very uh, uh, concise uh, a statement. Uh, explanation of being saved by grace and not by works. What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. 
and David says, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more than their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine, mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? But if the first fruit be holy, the the lump is also holy. If the root be holy, so are the branches. For, and if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers, partakers of the roots and the fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the, the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fall, severity. On them which fell, severity. But toward those goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer who shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Well, here we have uh, an interesting uh, exposition uh, of uh, Paul's uh, understanding of uh, 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 Israel's reprobation before God. Here we see that. Uh, uh, the first thing that Paul uh, indicates here is that the rejection of Israel is not total, nor is it final. Uh, there is uh, 
And Paul further indicates uh, that there is resemblance, and he himself is proof the fact that uh, Israel, uh, Israel's rejection is not total, nor is it final. And uh, he himself uh, had rejected the gospel, and, and then he met the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, he became part of the, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul uh, uh, reinforces the fact in the first part of uh, Romans chapter 11 that uh, the, the uh, reprobation of Israel is not total, nor is it final. And uh, he goes on further to explain this reality. I'm going to jump over um, a lot of uh, uh, interesting details here in uh, Romans chapter 11. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go to, the, um, to where Paul is talking about how that uh, the, the, the Gentiles were grafted in. And this is in verses 16 through 24. And so here we have, Paul gives a, a lesson from horticulture, and, um, and, and he, um, he, he talks, uh, you note that Paul in verse 24 refers to a grafting process that is contrary to nature. In other words, it's not, it's not the way it, it is usually done. So allow me to just define for you the, uh, the normal grafting process as it relates to fruit trees, uh, whether it be uh, uh, olive trees or apple trees or peach trees or whatever. Uh, the normal grafting um, uh, of, an, of uh, uh, a tr- in, uh, grafting a branch into a tr- uh, tree uh, is, uh, in the first place, in, in one, in, 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 uh, as one illustration, is that a shoot or branch is taken from an old fruit tree that has lost its vigor and is grafted into a young, vigorous, new root stock. The result of the, that is that a new tree is produced that is strong and vigorous, and that will produce a plentiful crop of good fruit. The fruit that is produced, however, is according to that which was grafted in, not according to the root stock. Uh, That is uh, one normal way of grafting. And I understand from talking to uh, uh, an orchard man that there's also a second way of grafting that is normal. And that is that you can take a branch from one fruit tree and graft it into the rootstock of another tree. Are, uh, are there any uh, orchard people here who understand the, the grafting process? Um, you can take the branch from one fruit tree, I understand, and graft it into the rootstock of another tree and it will always produce fruit according to the branch that is grafted in, and again, not according to the root stock. And so what you can do is you can take uh, an, a, a, you know, the, the root stock of an apple tree, and you can take the, a branch from a red delicious 
apple tree and graft it into the rootstock of this uh, apple tree. And consequently, it will produce this branch. Only this branch will produce red delicious apples. And then you can take a branch of a yellow delicious apple tree and graft it into the same root stock. And then, so what you get is you have a tree now that has, that produces two different kinds of apple. It produces according to the branch that is grafted in and not according to the root stock. That, I understand, is always the way it works. And so you can graft uh, four different kinds of apples uh, in, into the root stock, and you can, one tree will give four different kinds of apples. And so that's a normal grafting process that is possible. But Paul is talking about a grafting process that is not normal, that is not natural. So he, he uses this grafting process to explain how the Gentiles were made parter, partakers of the root and stock of the covenant people of God. They were grafted in to, to be made partakers of the root and stock of the, of, the, of the olive tree in which they were grafted in. And this is contrary to nature. It's not normally the way it, it is done. The grafting process Paul is referring to uh, is used to explain the bringing in of the Gentiles to be part of the covenant people of God. The grafting process that Paul uses it is reversed in that the wild olive branch is grafted into the root and stock of the domestic or the tame olive branch, and it will produce the, the fruit according to the root and stock that it was grafted in. Am I making sense at all? Um, and so this is, this is what Paul is explaining. And so Paul uh, goes on to say in verse 17 that as one of the branches of the good olive tree is broken off because of unbelief, so a branch of a wild olive tree is grafted into the roots and stock of the tame olive tree. The wild olive branch, meaning the believing Gentiles, are grafted in and, and it is made a partaker of the root and the fatness of uh, the original olive tree. So instead of producing wild olives, according to the branch grafted in, it produces fruit according to the root of the stock of domestic tame olive tree. And so uh, uh, this is Paul's explanation of what God did when he brought the Gentiles uh, into, uh, uh, into a relationship with himself uh, as a result of the gospel. And, uh, and so the, um, but, but he goes on to warn the Gentiles, us Gentiles, that the, the uh, branches of the grafted in uh, branch can be cut off if we do not take care. And so um, Paul, and Paul goes on to say that if the, uh, the, the branch is cut off, it can be grafted back in again. So the, uh, the, the reprobation of Israel, Paul is saying, is not total and it's not final. And, um, and, and so in the, at the end of this passage, in 
Romans chapter 11. Paul uh, says two things, uh, two statements. Uh, there are four statements that I'd love to expound on, but let me just point out two statements that Paul makes and, 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 and uh, to conclude our look at Romans chapter 11. And so he, he talks about the time. He talks about a mystery in verses 25 and 26. And I would not have you be ignorant of this mystery. The mystery revealed here has to do with the fact there is a, that there is a time coming that Israel will, be, will, will come out of her stupor. It will, uh, it will come out of her, her unbelief and will be saved. Israel can and will as I understand Paul is saying here, will be grafted back into the olive tree. The hardness, the blindness that has come to Jewish people as a whole is in part, he says. It's not total, nor is it permanent. So please note two phrases that are loaded with meaning at the end of this section, the end of... Uh, this passage that I read. And, and the first one is found in verse 25 when he talks about the, the fullness of the Gentiles. And notice verse 25. Well, I, would not have you, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, and here's the phrase, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in until the fullness of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Um, some would see this as meaning that when the full number of the Gentiles that God has predetermined to be saved are saved. Well, I don't, uh, uh, not being a Calvinist, I don't uh, see this as a proper explanation of this phrase. Uh, rather, uh, I'm of the persuasion that when he talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, he's referring to the time that the gospel has been proclaimed to all of the nations of the world, to all of the ethnos, all of the, the uh, ethnicities of the world, according to Luke chapter 24, verse uh, 47. So, uh, when all of the, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, uh, that is uh, that is what that is, as far as I'm concerned, is what it's referring to. And then he says, and so, uh, verse 26, uh, begins by saying, and so all Israel shall be saved. Um, some would take this to mean that the time is coming that each and every Israelite Every individual Jew, without exception, will be saved. Well, I don't interpret this phrase this way. I would interpret this to mean that the Jewish people, as a remnant, will continue to come to faith in Christ, will continue to become part of the elect people of God alongside of the Gentile believers. Yes, they will, they will come en masse at some point. Um, 
there are two things that are significant in relation to this phrase. The first one is this. The Greek term, and so, could not be interpreted to mean, and then, or after that time. And if you read it that way, you will read it to say, and so, when the, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and after that time, and so, after that time, uh, all Israel would be saved. The, uh, here in the Greek text, and so, uh, means, and thus, or in the same manner, or at the same time, all Israel shall be saved. So uh, that's the, uh, the, the significance of the phrase in the Greek text. Uh, and so it would read something like this. Until the fullness of the Gentiles should come in, and so at the same time all Israel shall be saved. Now, um, the other uh, thing that is significant in relation to this phrase, and so all Israel shall be saved, is that uh, this is referring to Israel's salvation and not necessarily to them becoming a national entity again. Now, um, and so Israel being saved, the word is salvation, is so-so uh, in Greek, has to, which has to do with being delivered from ungodliness and having their sins taken away, verses 26 and 27. And so Israel, all Israel, um, will uh, be uh, experience salvation uh, that come to uh, to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that is uh, a very brief and a, a bit of a stumbling overview of uh, uh, Romans nine, ten, eleven, and. Um, I, uh, I don't know what this speaks to you of. I don't know what this means to you. Let me only say this, that uh, Israel was a very privileged nation. They had a special spiritual heritage. And they missed it. We have a rich spiritual heritage. 